For a long time, I knew myself to be gender fluid. Back to the memories at the very beginning and roots of my life, I have experienced a profound kind of multi-genderedness as a woman, as a girl, as a child. The sacredness of my femininity has always been inclusive of a kind of contact with source resonance that is infinitely multi-gendered. And so the sacredness of multi-genderedness and differently genderedness has always been really present for me. I always conceptualized myself as a female being and I always conceptualized myself as a being more complex than a simple form of femininity. It was when I moved to Texas when my concepts of gender fluidity changed somewhat. We were drinking the tap water. A bunch of us were. Atrazine was in the tap water. That's one point. Another point is that I came into contact with these very interesting, more overtly social discussions and conceptualizations of gender. What is gender? How are we inventing it together? These are communities of people who have experienced some form of trauma or abuse in their lives generally. So individuals have a lot to process and invent in regards to meeting their own experiences that are already being sidelined, that are already being cruelly dismissed by their environments or by their family structures. So one of the first things that we found that we loved a lot and there's sort of a general we that includes other people, and then there's me. And I'm still separating, separating out some of my neurology. 
I remember how delighted I was when I discovered drag kings. I had heard of drag queens before. There were there were there were some lovely people who were part of a drag queen community in Youngstown. But I was never really physically safe in those contexts and um I have different ways of describing what that was now. And I'm not even ready to verbalize most of it. But it seemed to be a time-honored tradition in a lot of ways. I studied opera and part of traditional opera is mezzo-soprano pants rolls. And, um, gosh, half, 80% of my repertoire as a mezzo was, was pants rolls. <laughs> um, we, we, not all of it, but it was like, okay, well, here's a thing that people do sometimes. There are lots of interesting reasons why people do those things sometimes. Um, the world has really shifted in ways about can people remember the, the value and nourishment of pretending to be another gender? That is separate from, but also overlaps with people who experience deep dysphoria and need to find relief for the trauma that they're experiencing. There are a lot of reasons that people experience dysphoria like that. I was definitely influenced by environmental contaminants, no doubt, but I already had as part of my experience, a broader complex conceptualization of gender that was not necessarily shared by all of the people that I came in contact with, but we're all different. We started going to these um, these clubs for friendly queer people. They're really nice. Um, there were some issues. They seemed like the kinds of issues that are around any kind of club environment. So I'm like, this is definitely a better club environment than some of the alternatives that I could be um, coming into contact with. So that was cool. And it allowed us to kind of stretch our social skills in certain ways. Um, there were lots of discussions about consent. There were lots of discussions about respect for one another and tending to our environments and taking care of one another and recognizing one another. Um, freedom of expression, certainly, uh, but more than that, creative expression for trauma recovery. And that's most of what was there. And unfortunately, now I recognize that some of those environments that we were in had a lot more layers of influence than we were aware of. So we went to some of those things for a while. Um, 
I remember having some very interesting trajectories of processing about that as I moved towards other things that I guess I can talk about a different time. I didn't consider myself non-binary or trans until I had been cornered by a lot of very specific kinds of violent trauma that resulted in me having um, continuous death experiences, continuous life-threatening experiences that would completely wipe out my neural functions and then I would wake up. And the experience of physically dying over and over again, um, if you haven't had the pleasure, does a particular sort of thing to a living being. And it was in this context that I, I wanted to show people the violence I was experiencing because it was totally invisible and no one would reference it or talk about it. And we certainly weren't allowed to say the word sex trafficking. So I wanted to saw my breasts off with something rusty and serrated. And I kept thinking about it. I didn't really want to think about it. It didn't sound like fun for me, but I recognized the impulse. It was a pretty clear impulse. Could it have been piped into my head? Yes, but it did have a personal element to it. So whether it was piped into my head or not, um, directly or ambiently, it was still deeply a function of the trauma that I had been enduring invisibly, uh, being tortured to death continually all the time and then expected to, to behave in certain ways around others so that they wouldn't have to be bothered with addressing it or acknowledging it or doing anything about it. Um, I no longer want to cut my breasts off with something rusty and serrated. That's delightful. That's um, really a wonderful place for me to be. Um, it has taken a lot of time for me to be able to even come back into contact with my womanness because it has been treated so violently and hindered in such specific and direct ways. But even when I was non-binary and trans, even when I was reaching out to every corner, I could possibly find allies and thinking seriously, maybe the, maybe the only place I can go is the trans masculine community and I still care a lot about the trans masculine community and the drag king community and other queer and trans communities. They are very important to me. And that is one of the reasons that I must verbalize better all of this because the ways that we are all being used against one another is still flying under most people's radar. And as this collective trauma clamp comes down on all of us, where we have this increasing 
difficulty, increasing stressors, keeping us from being able to think clearly, keeping us from being able to steady our relationships and our communications. It's more important than ever that we share with one another what we've been experiencing and what we're learning from it that is resulting in success of whatever kind because so many people right now feel really, really hopeless. In every context where I was being pressed into non-binariness, when I, I, I always thought I'd be a woman. I always thought of myself growing into being a woman. But then my brain was affected in some really interesting ways by layers of complex influences um, that when you notice what people are and are not permitted to talk about in social circumstances, you start to get a much clearer map of how trafficking organizations prevent populations from really even being able to recognize the kinds of violence that are occurring. I had to fight to regrow my neurology about my innate womanness. And I have never been willing to relinquish my non-binariness. And I have never been willing to relinquish my transness. Because being put through experiences like these makes for makes for deep beings and a lot of stuff about it goes so deep that verbalizing it we don't know if we'll be able to verbalize it at any given time but we can build communities where we can all verbalize more successfully and we can all share our experiences more safely and inclusively so that the information we're getting about our environments and about our communities is more accurate altogether. That's crucial if we're ever going to invoke the word science. Also crucial is to never dismiss out of hand or deride survivors of violence for attempting to share their experiences because trafficking organizations particularly like to produce effects across populations, across professional networks, that cause people to laugh at one another instead of being able to recognize and listen to one another. Regardless of what details are, are the most accurate, what details are, are um, smushy from rebuilding injured neurology, what details are most concrete, what details have documentation, none of that is the point initially. Initially the point is the nature of physical trauma, the nature of trauma from all kinds of violence is that 
it will change the way a person communicates at first and you will have to learn their language. And if you laugh at them instead of learn their language, you remove the chance that you will find out something that is profoundly impacting the safety of your community, your loved ones, your family. And trans people altogether are encountering this in a particular way where everywhere you go as a trans person, as a queer person, um, our two-spirit friends, many permutations of sacred multi-genderedness that manifests in whatever way it manifests. Sometimes it manifests because our environments have been weaponized against us. Sometimes it manifests because someone is finding their own self. And part of the reason that trafficking organizations do this sort of thing is to desecrate the sacred there is sacred non-genderedness, there is sacred multi-genderedness. And if you create trauma and conflict situations where people are forced into gender modalities that are unfamiliar to them or terrorizing to them, in all of these different ways that that happens, it keeps us from being able to recognize where is that sacred source non-genderedness? Where is that sacred source multi-genderedness? That through the ages we have honored as part of our communities, but not like this, not like now. Right now, what happens when people affected by queer and trans circumstances reach out to find others to help. Mostly they find people too impacted themselves to do something about it or people who are doing something about it but already have their hands full addressing something that they're addressing, that they're committed to. And in those environments where stress is being increased on purpose and ambient entrainment is being increased on purpose, trafficking operatives can be embedded in a lot of different ways. And in this kind of landscape, they are the people that those in hardship may be more likely to come into contact with because everybody else is being kept on the rails, but the trafficking organizations have lots of resources to share. If you behave well enough, you know, in the opinion of the traffickers. So we have a lot of different kinds of co-optation that occur in that way. And one of them has been that policies being created to support queer, non-binary non trans people, um, a whole spectrum of, of differently gendered people, 
there are policies being created that are influenced by trafficking organizations so that we corner people into a traumatized place. We keep the traumagenic methodology spinning and constantly affecting them. And then they're much easier for trafficking organizations to control. And they're much easier um, to commoditize and extract from. They're much easier to sex traffic, incidentally. So when we know that this is happening, we have to talk to one another in better ways. And there are additional layers that can make that really scary. One of those additional layers is that trafficking organizations embed operatives who exacerbate the traumagenic circumstances in particular ways. So there is a lot of stuff that is planted to make trans people afraid of everything because the situations of increasing neurological injury that everyone is experiencing now because our environments are full of neurotoxins and you may have resilience against this but you don't have as much resilience as you want to have against it and everybody's being affected one way or another some people in very extreme ways when you experience increasing neurological injury, one of the things that happens is you have to hold on to certain ways of thinking or ideas in your brain, and you have to exert a lot more effort to hold on to that. What that means is that if you have threats coming from a lot of different directions, your brain, at a certain threshold of neurological injury, your brain has to conceptualize all of those little points as one kind of field and stay away from the whole field. You don't have the ability anymore to remember specifically and simultaneously all of those little points. If you could, you could make much better discernments about your safety and your relationships and who to trust and all of this, but you can't because you're being kept under circumstances of increasing disablement and so it does not take very much to plant violence here or here and have a whole set of communities be affected because now we have to protect ourselves from trans misogynists. We have to protect ourselves from white supremacists. We have to protect ourselves from people who do not know how to respect living beings or think they know how to respect living beings and um, are missing something. The only thing that remedies this situation is if we communicate effectively enough and respectfully enough with one another to be able to exchange information about what each of us are experiencing. That's when the peach, the, the picture, the picture gets pieced together. P-E-A-C-E-S. The picture gets pieced together. The picture. Um, the picture. Peaches are nice. I like peaches. When we can construct our reference points 
collectively, instead of being isolated individually, we can see where the trafficking influences are occurring. Until we include survivors of trafficking violence in our day-to-day -day community conversations, we will be missing a huge piece of this and we will not know where the violence is coming from and what that allows trafficking organizations to do because they have power, they have communications leverage, they have public media privileges, they have a lot of different kinds of resourcing. They get to say, it's terrible that you've been hurt by those terrible people. Those people that you've been hurt by, those people that you've been hurt by, that's terrible that they did that, that's unacceptable. We will help you. And from a place of severe neurological injury and also from places of less severe neurological injuries, you may be affected by this and have no idea, which is part of the reason I'm saying it. When you're in that place, if you are being tortured on a daily basis, if your body sends you signals on a moment to moment basis that your body is dying and you had better do something about it and you don't find any other possible source of support. When the trafficking operative comes and offers you something, you might have no choice but to take it. Your body might be saying, I'm gonna survive. I don't care what you think about this situation. And you might not think anything about the situation. It might literally be the only identifiable source of safe support that you can reach. And it's not safe, but you can't tell because you have been kept under continuing conditions of neurological injury. And the effects, the symptoms of your compounding neurological injuries are being gaslighted against and dismissed out of hand by all of the professional networks that you come in contact with, except some particular ones that are funded in certain ways by some interesting organizations that we have been reviewing a lot of documentation about. But of course, when you are affected too severely by trauma, as I and many others have been and many others are now, your body goes for the survival impulse that it can recognize. And the greater structure of all our social support in the mainstream, it has been marketed to us in a way that puts us particularly at a disadvantage when trafficking operatives come into our environments for whatever reason, whether they go into a professional environment and influence policies, or move in that professional environment without being hindered or uh, uh, recognized in any way, um, whether they are moving in our communities, going to parties, um, being pals with people, um, maybe spreading substances around, maybe um, other kinds of resources, helping people in ways that seem like relationship building, seem like um, I have a business relationship with this person, or I have a loving personal relationship with this person, or I have a respecting community relationship with this person. Trafficking operatives happen in lots of ways. And if we exclude 
survivors of severe traumatic violence from our communities, we won't know where the traffickers are. We will keep working with them in our day-to-day -day environments. When we include trafficking survivors in our environments and make sure that we are not excluding survivors of the worst, most invisible kinds of violence, not only do we not have trafficking operatives in our environments, but the trafficking around the edges of our communities can't even occur because we welcome in those who are at the edges of community. Because part of the, the, the weaponization, part of the trafficking violence has been to exclude people from the awareness of community, exclude them from the resourcing of community. And then it's easy to pick them up. Do what you want with them. They're a commodity. There are a lot of people who are not hateful of trans people and who recognize the violence that is being perpetuated against trans people and through using trans people. And one of the things that a lot of those people happen to be aware of are the underpinnings of natural law that specifically invoke manness and womanness as crucial functions of identifying oneself in the structures that we are using now. And on on, uh, in the structures that we are using now, in the structures that we are using now that most people tend to not be aware of, since there are more and more layers of languaging and bureaucracy and um, government and politics all having been built up on top of natural law over a lot of time. And so people are increasingly using these artificial systems that claim to take care of them that are actually an overlay on a more fundamental system that people are being kept from understanding. And in that context, it looks like there are legal movements to protect trans and non-binary people. And I was... Um, misled by that initially until I got deep enough in my research at my necessary intersections to recognize that all of what I had been taught by mainstream media environments and by my schooling was a construct, is a construct, that if I interact with it without the deeper knowledge of the systems underlying it, it is a trap for me and my loved ones. It itself is a form of human trafficking.
And so part of what has had to occur for survivors at our intersections in the Intuitive Community Network is we have had to help one another from circumstances of very severe neurological and other kinds of disabilities piece together a very deep and broad, complex map of these different misdirections and co-optation strategies that trafficking operations are, are using. They have a lot of money to use to do various things. And it can be really bewildering for those of us who are kept in circumstances where access to money is a very different thing than it ever used to be, if it, if it was ever different. Um, than the current hardships. Um, some people have had this going on their whole lives for generations in their families. When we recognize this map together, we are protected from trafficking co-optation in really powerful ways. And we have only begun to scratch the surface of that, having almost entirely been powering our network with the efforts of severely disabled, severely affected, and dying people who have violence directed at us on a daily basis, um, on a moment-to-moment -moment basis, we are having, I am having life-threatening experiences. Um, that has only shifted for me in a way that allows me to talk to you like this because of our tool sets. So it's amazing what we're doing with it. But wow, is it important for other people to understand more of this context? Because otherwise, trans people are terrified of people who are not trans misogynist when the trans misogynist, when the trans when the, no, 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 I can do this. Hold on. I'm going to finish that sentence. I just got to back up a little bit. When the trans people are terrified of the people they think are trans misogynist, but those people thought to be trans misogynist actually care about trans people, what they are trying to communicate is there are traffickers using transness. And if at the same time they don't know how to, how, how to communicate in a really deeply trauma-informed way, because a lot of people don't, that information has been literally kept out of even professional networks. It, it emerges in like this grassroots way, all of these different places but it's being stomped on very actively. So a lot of people don't know what the signs of trauma are. They don't know how to talk to someone who's traumatized. They're afraid. They've been told they'll be hurt by the traumatized people. That's part of the trafficking trick. So here we actually have two groups of people who wanna help one another. I have made friends that I was told were trans misogynist, and they're not. And I have continued to make friends with people who are supposedly trans misogynist, and they're not. We have been having to sweep them into a broader category because we are all being targeted by terrible violence. 
but the people who are being set up as trans misogynists, who are being set up as white supremacists, very frequently are nothing of the kind. Some of them are there. Generally, they're trafficking operatives, and generally they're name stealers. They're pretending to be somebody they're not while they do violence so that the violence will get blamed on a community of people that would otherwise come together with kindness and caring and help. I said that, that came out of my mouth. That's great, I'm pleased about that. This is happening in a zillion other ways. This is one example of how it happens. This is almost 40 minutes. I should stop at the 40 minute mark. I will. Can I call out other ways that this is happening right now? Um, if you look at any of the false binaries, you will find trafficking influences. You will find strategies being used by human trafficking operations. Um, the most lucrative form of human trafficking operations is sex trafficking. I'd be really interested in talking about more of the false binaries with others. Because when we honor the natural emergent diversity of life, of living beings, of the greater than human community, we are in contact with a sacred form of non-gender, multi-genderedness, that we've all had some kind of contact with innately. How we each express it matters deeply to our well-being. And if we are taught words and concepts that work against us, and if we have conflict being intentionally seeded in our communities, that we can we can see demonstrated before us is creating impossible, hopeless situations. When we come together and are patient with one another and learn to respect one another, learn one another's languages, then we have a totally different landscape to work with. The whole landscape changes and we are no longer ensconced in these invisible structural forms of entrapment that will keep us fighting with one another and terrified of one another. We can do so much better than that. We just have to know enough about how to start addressing it. And so that's what we're doing here today. It's 10 to 10 Eastern time. I think I said what I needed to say. Thank you for listening.